So this is continuing with the Sangiti Sutta, Sutta 33 of the Digi Nikaya. We ended with the sets of three things, so we go into the sets of four things, which are perfectly proclaimed by the Lord. The four foundations of mindfulness. Here a monk abides contemplating body as body, ardent, clearly aware, and mindful. Having put aside hankering and fretting for the world, he abides contemplating feelings as feelings. He abides contemplating mind as mind. He abides contemplating mind objects as mind objects, ardent, clearly aware and mindful, having put aside hankering and fretting for the world. The four great efforts, or four right efforts, samapadana. Here a monk rouses his will, makes an effort, stirs up energy, exerts his mind and strives to prevent the arising of unarisen, evil, unwholesome mental states. He arouses his will and strives to overcome evil, unwholesome mental states that have arisen. He arouses his will and strives to produce unarisen, wholesome mental states. He arouses his will and strives to maintain wholesome mental states that have arisen, not letting them fade away, bringing them to greater growth, to the full perfection of development. The Four Roads to Power, Itipada. Here a monk develops concentration of intention accompanied by effort of will, concentration of energy, concentration of consciousness, concentration of investigation. I'm not so sure about that translation. So uh, this is uh, chanda virya chitta vimaksa. Chanda is like desire to give rise to something. Virya, energy. Chitta is application of mind, or I think of it as putting your heart into the activity. Vimaksa is reviewing. Did it work? Did it not work? The four jhanas. Here a monk, detached from sense desires, detached from unwholesome mental states, enters and remains in the first jhana, which is with thinking and pondering, born of detachment, filled with delight and joy. And with the subsiding of thinking and pondering by gaining inner tranquility and oneness of mind, he enters and remains in the second jhana, which is without thinking and pondering, born of concentration, filled with delight and joy. And with the fading away of delight, remaining imperturbable, mindful, and clearly aware, he experiences in himself that joy which the noble ones say, happy is he who dwells with equanimity and is mindful. He enters and remains in the third jhana, and having given up pleasure and pain with the disappearance of former gladness and sadness, he enters and remains in the fourth jhana, which is beyond pleasure and pain and purified by equanimity and mindfulness purified by equanimity. The four supports. Here a monk judges that one thing is to be pursued, one thing endured, one thing avoided, one thing suppressed. The four Aryan lineages. Here a monk is content with any old robe, praises such contentment, and does not try to obtain robes improperly or unsuitably. He does not worry if he does not get a robe, and if he does, he is not full of greed, blind desire, and makes use of it, aware of such dangers and wisely aware of its true purpose. Nor is he conceited about being thus content with any old robe, and he does not disparage others. And one who is thus skillful, not lax, clearly aware and mindful, <clears throat> is known as a monk who is true to the ancient, original Aryan lineage. Again, 
A monk is content with any alms food he may get. A monk is content with any old lodging place. A monk is, and then a monk being fond of abandoning rejoices in abandoning, and being fond of developing rejoices in developing, and is not therefore conceited. And one who is thus skillful, not lax, clearly aware and mindful, is known as a monk who is true to the ancient, original Aryan lineage. The four efforts, the effort of restraint, the effort of abandoning, the effort of developing, the effort of preserving. What is the effort of restraint? Here a monk on seeing an object with the eye does not grasp at its whole or its details, striving to restrain what might cause evil, unwholesome states, such as hankering or sorrow, to flood in on him. Flood in on him. Thus he watches over the sense of sight and guards it, similarly with sounds, smells, tastes, tactile sensations, and thoughts. What is the effort of abandoning? Here a monk does not assent to a thought of lust, of hatred, of cruelty that has arisen, but abandons it, dispels it, destroys it, makes it disappear. What is the effort of development? Here a monk develops the enlightenment factor of mindfulness based on solitude, detachment, extinction, leading to maturity of surrender. He develops the enlightenment factor of investigation of states, of energy, of delight, of tranquility, of concentration, of equanimity, based on solitude, detachment, extinction, leading to maturity of surrender. What is the effort of preservation? Here a monk keeps firmly in his mind a favorable object of concentration which has arisen, such as a skeleton or a corpse that is full of worms, blue-black, full of holes, bloated. The four knowledges, knowledge of Dhamma, of what is consonant with it, knowledge of others' minds, and conventional knowledge. Four more knowledges, knowledge of suffering, of its origin, of its cessation, and of the path. Four factors of stream entry, association with good people, hearing the true Dhamma, thorough attention, or Yoniso Manisikara, practice of the Dhamma in its ent entirety, Dhamma Nudhamma Patipada. Four characteristics of a stream enterer. Here, the Aryan disciple is possessed of unwavering confidence in the Buddha, thus, the Blessed Lord is an Arahant, a fully enlightened Buddha, endowed with wisdom and conduct, the welfarer, knower of the worlds, incomparable trainer of men to be tamed, teacher of gods and humans, enlightened one, the Blessed One. He is possessed of unwavering confidence in the Dhamma, thus, well proclaimed by the Lord as the Dhamma, visible here and now, timeless, inviting inspection, leading inwards, to be comprehended by, the, by each wise one for themselves. He is possessed of unwavering confidence in the Sangha, thus, well directed is the Sangha of the Lord's disciples, of un, upright conduct, on the right path, on the perfect path, that is to say, the four pairs of persons, the eight kinds of noble beings. The Sangha of the Blessed One's disciples is worthy of offerings, worthy of hospitality, worthy of gifts, worthy of veneration, an unsurpassed field of merit for the world. And four, he is possessed of morality dear to the noble ones, unbroken, without defect, unspotted, 
without inconsistency, liberating, praised by the wise, uncorrupted and conducive to concentration. Four fruits of the ascetic life, the fruits of stream entry, of the once-returner, of the non-returner, of our hauntship. Four elements, the element of earth, water, fire, and air. Four nutriments, coarse material nutriment, or material nutriment, food, gross or subtle, contact as second, mental volition as third, consciousness as fourth, four stations of consciousness. Consciousness gains a footing either in relation to materiality, with materiality as object and basis as a place of enjoyment, or similarly in regard to feelings, perceptions, or mental formations, and there it grows, increases, and flourishes. Four ways of going wrong. One goes wrong through desire, hatred, delusion, or fear. Four arousals of craving. Craving arises in a monk because of robes, alms food, lodging, being or non-being. Four kinds of progress. Painful progress with slow comprehension. Painful progress with quick comprehension. Pleasant progress with slow comprehension. Pleasant progress with quick comprehension. Four more kinds of progress. Progress with impatience, patient progress, controlled progress, calm progress. Four ways of Dhamma, without hankering, without enmity, with right mindfulness, with right concentration. Four ways of undertaking Dhamma. There is the way that is painful in the present and brings painful future results painful in the present and brings pleasant future results, <clears throat> pleasant in the present and brings painful future results, and pleasant in the present and brings pleasant future results. Four divisions of Dhamma, morality, concentration, wisdom, liberation. Four powers, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. Four kinds of resolve, to gain wisdom, truth, to gain relinquishment, to gain tranquility. Four ways of answering questions. The question to be answered directly, requiring an explanation, requiring a counter question, or to be set aside. Four kinds of kama. There is black, <coughs> black kama with black result, bright kama with bright result, black and bright kama with black and bright result, Kama that is, I like the, uh, probably dark is better a translation. Kama that is neither dark nor bright, with neither dark nor bright result, leading to the destruction of Kama. Four things to be realized by seeing. Former lives to be realized by recollection. Passing away to be re-arising. Passing away and re-arising to be realized by the divine eye. The eight deliverances to be realized with the mental body and the destruction of corruptions to be realized by wisdom. The four floods, the ogas, sensuality, becoming, views, and ignorance. The four unyokings from sensuality, becoming, views, and ignorance. The four ties, the body tie of, hank the body tie of hankering, ill will, attachment to rites and rituals, dogmatic fanaticism, Dogmatic fanaticism is uh, only this is right, everything else is wrong. 
four clingings to sensuality, to views, to rites and rituals, to the doctrine of a self. Four kinds of generation from an egg, from a womb, from moisture, spontaneous rebirth. Four ways of descent into the womb. One descends into the mother's womb unknowing, stays there unknowing, and leaves it unknowing. One enters the womb knowing, stays there unknowing, and leaves it unknowing. One enters the womb knowing, stays there knowing, and leaves it unknowing. One enters the womb knowing, stays there knowing, and leaves it knowing. And that would be the bodhisattva, that fourth one. Four ways of getting a new uh, dilaba. This is translated as, I think we need to request a new translation of the Diganikaya. Uh, four ways of getting a new personality. <laughs> I want that one. Uh, there is the acquisition of personality that is brought about by one's own volition, not another's. Another's volition, not one's own. Both and neither. Four purifications of offerings. There is the offering purified by the giver, but not by the recipient. By the recipient, but not by the giver. By neither and by both. Four bases of sympathy, generosity, pleasing speech, beneficial conduct, and impartiality. Four un-Aryan modes of speech, lying, slander, abuse, idle gossip. Four Aryan modes of speech, refraining from lying, from slander, from abuse, and from idle gossip. Four more un-Aryan modes of speech, claiming to have seen, heard, and sensed what one has not seen, heard, sensed, or known. Four more Aryan modes of speech, stating, stating that one has not seen, heard, sensed, or known what one has not seen, heard, sensed, or known. Four more on Aryan modes of speech, claiming not to have seen, heard, sensed, or known what one has seen, heard, sensed, or known. Four more Aryan modes of speech, stating that one has seen, heard, sensed, known what one has seen, heard, sensed, or known. Four persons, here a certain man torments himself, is given to self-tormenting, torments others, torments himself and others, and torment, torments neither himself nor others, dwelling in this life without craving, released, cool, enjoying bliss, become as Brahma. Four more persons, here someone's life benefits themselves but not others, others but not themselves, neither or both. Four more persons, living in darkness and bound for darkness, living in darkness and bound for the light, living in the light and bound for darkness, living in the light and bound for the light. Four more persons, the unshakable ascetic, the blue lotus ascetic, the white lotus ascetic, and the subtly perfect ascetic. And that is, uh, there's a note on that. These curious designations are supposed to refer to the stream enterer, once returner, non-returner, and arhant respectively. These are the sets of four things which were perfectly proclaimed by the Lord, so we should all recite them together for the benefit, welfare, happiness of devas and humans. So from then on in, the, uh, in this sutta, there's a lot of uh, fairly, a number of repeating things, also some more interesting sets, but uh, I'll end reading this, uh, these designations there, and to anyone who wants to check out the rest of the Sankiti Sutta, it's Sutta 33 of the Diganikaya.
And I'll continue on with Lumpur Cha being Dhamma. It is interesting that reading these sets, some of them do end up coming up in the Lumpur Cha readings. So I know yesterday when I read the sets of threes, then one of those sets actually did come up in the reading and that was uh, I am superior, I am equal, I am inferior. There's three types of conceit and Lumpur Cha touched on that. The Buddha wanted us to practice the Dhamma, but what is practicing Dhamma? Dhamma means all things. The forms that the eyes see, sounds heard by the ears, these are all Dhamma, because Dhamma means conditions that are maintained in existence. Having come into being, they pass away. We don't need to expect too much from them, because that is the way they are. We should internalize this truth and see it in our minds and bodies. It's not something far away. The components of body and mind are not stable or permanent. They have no inherent reality. The Buddha advised us not to see them as real. Why would you want to see something that has no inherent reality as real? Appearing and disappearing, constantly in a state of change, where is the reality in that? The only reality is the unsubstantiality itself. The Buddha wanted us to see this truth, the truth that things are impermanent, unsatisfactory in nature and without self-existence. Not seeing this and grasping at things, the only result is suffering. Seeing and letting go leads to freedom. Those who genuinely practice are respectful. Why? Because they see the Buddha. When they sit here, it's as if the Buddha were in front of them. Walking, standing, lying down, it is the same. They cannot get away from it. They witness this in their own minds. So they respect Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. The Buddhasasana does not become weakened or diluted. It is not given up and cannot be lost because it exists in their minds. Wherever they are, they are hearing the Dhamma of the Buddha. This concept almost made my head explode when I first encountered it. I went to listen to the teachings of Ajahn Man, and he said, You, practice along and listen to the Dhamma of the Buddha. When you sit under a tree, listen to the teaching of the Buddha. When you walk, listen to the Dhamma of the Buddha. When you sleep, listen to the Dhamma of the Buddha. I couldn't get it. I just could not figure it out because it doesn't come from figuring and thinking. This is something that has to come from a pure mind. I couldn't properly contemplate these words because they are talking about really seeing Dhamma. But this isn't something far away because that which is not Dhamma does not exist. We think the Buddha entered final Nibbana long ago, but in truth, the one who sees the Dhamma sees the Buddha. It's difficult to get this point. When you see Buddha, you see Dhamma. When you see Buddha and Dhamma, you see Sangha. They exist in the mind, but see them clearly. Don't merely pick up the words to play with. Otherwise, people will say things like, Buddha is in my mind, but their behavior doesn't match, and they never practice or realize anything according to the Buddha's intention. The mind is the one that knows the Dhamma. The one who knows is Buddha. The Buddha taught the Dhamma. He was enlightened to Dhamma, but he did not take the enlightenment away with him. For example, you might be a teacher. You weren't born as a teacher. You studied to accumulate knowledge and got experience at teaching people. You work at it for a number of years, and someday you will retire and then pass away. But we can say the teacher doesn't die, because the virtues that make you a teacher have not disappeared. The Dhamma of ultimate reality, the truth that makes one a Buddha, does not disappear. So we can say there are two Buddhas, 
that of his physical form and that of his mind. The Buddha said, Ananda, practice well, develop yourself well. You will blossom in the sasana. Whoever sees Dhamma sees me, and the one who sees me sees Dhamma. We hear the words and don't really know what they are about. It gets confusing. Dhamma is Buddha, Buddha is Dhamma. But the truth is like this. At first, there was no Buddha. When he realized Dhamma, he was given the title Buddha. Before that, he was Prince Siddhartha Gotama. We are the same. We are called Joe or Alice or perhaps Prince so-and-so. But if we realize the Dhamma, then we too are Buddha, no different from him. So understand that the Buddha is still living. Where is the Buddha? Whatever we do, truth is there. We think we can do evil and it doesn't matter. No one sees. Watch out. The Buddha sees. The Buddha still exists to support us to walk the path properly and continuously. But we don't see. We don't know it. Those who practice won't doubt good and evil. They are their own witness. But we think we can act in unwholesome ways and no one sees. There is no such things. We see. Wherever we are, whatever we do for good or bad, we don't go beyond it. This is called kamma. Truth in actions exists. The Buddha taught according to that principle. If everyone in the world were to practice and realize truth, they would all be transformed and become Buddha, the one who teaches the path of virtue. So the Buddha still exists. You should be happy about this. It's not something to feel sad about. But some people feel frustrated and say, Oh man, if the Buddha were still here, I would have made it by now. I would be enlightened. But in truth, he is really here in the path of practice, the standard of right and wrong. The Buddha called humans special beings, those able to realize Dhamma. Unlike animals, for example, we can understand concepts. When trained by a qualified teacher, we can practice and realize the truth. It is much easier for us than for other beings. The teachings say that human birth is hard to attain. This is difficult to understand. We think, how can that be? People are being born constantly. Sometimes they are even born two together. We don't quite get it because we don't know what a real human is. We look around and see plenty of people. A person without virtue is one type of human, just barely human. He or she is another kind of animal, only having the name human. We come into this world and as children don't know what it is all about. We don't know what to practice, don't know what is the true wealth and virtue of human existence. As we grow up, we learn from parents and teachers, gradually developing virtues and becoming complete humans. Then we can say that a human is born. As humans, we have greater potential than animals. I've sometimes given the example of a dog sleeping on a pile of unthreshed rice. When he gets hungry, he has to go looking for food. No matter how big the pile of rice, he can't make use of it because a dog can't thresh rice and cook it. He might go wandering all around and find nothing, only to return to the heap of rice. He will be lying there, his stomach empty and growling. He's right at the source of food but could die of starvation. So humans have this greater potential. It can be used for good or evil. An evil person, the type we call a human animal, may even destroy a whole nation, but we never hear of a dog destroying a country. On the other hand, if a human being takes an interest in Dhamma and practices sincerely, he or she can accomplish that, things that are impossible for an animal.
In truth, to practice virtuous Dhamma is not easy. It is correct, but difficult to do. Consider an easy example, the five precepts. We observe them all the time. They are the measure of worth for a real human. Refraining from killing or harming any living thing, as well as spreading goodwill to all, not stealing, respecting the rights of others, knowing restraint and moderation and what is proper in sexual relations, truthful speech, and refraining from intoxicants. If everyone observed them, there wouldn't be much trouble in the world. Even without realizing Dhamma, there would be little conflict, and we would really have a human world. There's not a lot to it, but those who keep the five precepts will have well-being. Recollecting the past, we will be okay because we have done no harm, and when death comes, there will be no regret. So we are studying for the purpose of becoming real humans. Supporting the sasana by making merit is good. It is the bark and the leaves, but it's still good. A tree needs bark, doesn't it? When you make offerings and take part in ceremonies, do it with a good mind, not a greedy or deluded mind, but as a Buddhist who believes in cause and result. When you go home and people ask, you went to the monastery, did you get any merit? You can explain what merit is all about. This kind of activity is upaya, or skillful means. Teaching is also one upaya. Understand this, it is convention. The real Dhamma is something that we cannot see with the eyes or hear with the ears. When a teacher instructs her students, she uses an example such as, Mr. A has this much money. In actuality, in actuality there's no Mr. A. She uses chalk to create this person on the blackboard. Is it Mr. A? Yes, as a supposition, a convention, but he can't run around and do things. We can talk about this Mr. A for the purpose of learning, but he can't get up and move. This is upaya. There is no Mr. A, but we just use the letter A and suppose this person into existence for some purpose. If we just have mindfulness and clear comprehension of ourselves, we can do the practice. Some will think, I have no time to meditate. I have to sell things. Hey, when you're doing business, do you breathe? If you have time to breathe, you have time to practice Dhamma. Meditation is nothing but this awareness and sensitivity, but when you talk about meditating while you sell, people think it means to sit down in the market and close your eyes. Awareness means knowing what you're doing at the moment. Today, did you speak, act, and think wrongly? If you have mindfulness, you must know. So don't think that practicing Dhamma means you have to ordain and live in a monastery. When you're doing business or, home or housework, writing or whatever, it's just the same as with the breath. You don't need to set aside time just to do that. Even when you sleep, you breathe. Why? Breathing is critical to life. Actually, breath is an extremely refined nutrient. We can't do without it for two minutes. The finest delicacy we can do without for two hours or two weeks. But how far can we go without breath? So the Buddha told us to contemplate the breath, in and out, in conjunction with the repetition of Bhutto. All parts of the body depend on it. It is the supreme food. When you contemplate, you see how valuable and precious it is for you, better than money, gold, or diamonds. If it exists and doesn't enter, your life is over. If it ex exits and doesn't enter, your life is over. If it enters and doesn't exit, you are dead. Seeing the frailty of your life through seeing the breath, 
is the meditation on the recollection of death. Just realizing this fact, that if the breath goes in but does not go out again, or goes out but does not come in again, your life is over, is enough to change the mind. It will startle you into being awake. Your outlook will be transformed and your behavior will change accordingly. You will fear wrong actions and have a sense of shame towards them. You won't be so inclined to follow your impulses of craving or hatred. Mindfulness will naturally increase and wisdom will come rushing to assist you, teaching you many things. Take an interest in your breath, set mindfulness on it, and many kinds of wisdom will arise. It is easy because we all have breath. When you lie down, you can fix attention on it until you fall asleep. This is truly easy. It will make the mind clean and peaceful, no matter if you are an ordained person or a lay person. Meditation is something to help us get beyond suffering. We can see what is right and wrong, but if we don't practice, we don't see clearly. Whatever we do, we should do it with knowledge. This is how the Buddha wanted his disciples to live. Part of, one part of that reading I found very striking was the uh, Ajahn Cha talking about Ajahn Man, listening to the Dhamma wherever you are, hearing, seeing Dhamma, hearing Dhamma wherever you are, and uh, that's uh, setting your mind on that. That was uh, quite striking the way he talked about that. So we have any questions, comments? It's actually a theme that comes up over and over and over again in Ajahn Chah's teachings, sort of. Or even that book that uh, Giancaliano translated, Everything is Teaching Us. Mm -hmm. you know, sort of that, you know, the presence of the Dhamma is everywhere, everywhere at all times, if you've got, got the eye to see it. You know, I've seen uh, the word sotapanna translated as sound hearer. It's almost like that could be a meaning of it or something. Sound yeah. Not the best translation. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've seen those yeah. stream enter and then I've also seen sound hearer. Yeah, kasota is, you know, is sound as well. But it's, mm. it's, it's also very literally stream. Just a small question from the sutta. Um, if any, if any of these feel relevant, there is four things that I didn't quite get that in the list of fours. Um, one were the pursuits, which I think I just didn't fully hear, and then three I understood the words, but I'm not sure what I'm supposed to take away. And those three are um, the personality, the the way you enter the mother's womb, and um, the repeat. Oh, and the types of progress. One was calm. So those three things, like I, I, I heard, but I wasn't sure what to take away from. So any of those that feel relevant? Yeah, these are uh, just all sorts of designations that come up in the suttas. Uh, the womb one, I think it's it's more. Uh, one enters the womb knowing, stays there knowing, and leaves it knowing. That that describes the bodhisattva, the story of the bodhisattva. The um, the other designations, I don't know. That's one reason I like this sutta is some of these don't come up anywhere else. And uh, but um, there's no note on that one. Uh, just different levels, probably different levels of beings with different paramis can enter the womb with or without mindfulness. And uh, there is a story I heard of a, yeah, of a, like a 
for different practitioners, there's a biography of a Chinese monk where he remembered his, he was fully mindful during his rebirth process. And he remembers, but being in the womb, the experience was like he was walking through a neighborhood and then being born was like going into one of the houses. And so, uh, and then, and then his life began there, like, but he didn't, so he was, uh, you do, you do hear stories like that. Um, the four kinds of progress, the personality one we could probably set aside. Four kinds of progress, painful progress with slow comprehension, painful progress with quick comprehension, pleasant progress with slow comprehension, pleasant progress with quick comprehension. This does come up at other places in the suttas. Oh yeah, four more kinds of progress, patient progress, yeah, impatient progress, patient progress, controlled progress, and calm progress. Um, there is a note on that. That note doesn't say anything. <laughs> it just says, by developing samadhi. <laughs> but uh, that's the calm progress. But uh, these different types of progress, there are allusions to them in the suttas. So impatient progress is, uh, there's the type of person who is kind of really agitated all the time. You know, when, oh, when will I see the Dhamma? So uh, I would think patient progress is the opposite of that. Um, probably different personality types making progress in different ways. I don't know if you had any thought, thoughts on that also. No, just sort of thinking of the uh, that personality one. If what uh, Morris translated from, whether translated from Sakaya, which would be more like identity, because that's an old, like that, that was, that's, yeah. that's for one of the, the, I think it was translated in the 1980s. And so it's, there's been a lot of progress in, in uh, kind of, translation work and uh, it might be from Sakaya which would be like identity which is a different kind of yeah it'd probably be worth looking and seeing if Ajahn Jeff has a newer translation of this sutta in a handful of leaves or something yeah and then also uh, uh, Sujato Sutta Central yeah. Sutta Central is, is uh, so this is uh, the word is Four ways of getting a new personality. That's atabhava. So the develop. I think it's a atta. cultivation of your the Yourself, character. Yeah. Cultivation, cultivation of character yeah. would probably be a better translation. <coughs> Not getting a new personality. <laughs> <laughs> I think I need a new personality. I think I'm ready for. A new, I think I'm ready for a new personality. <laughs> atabhava, patilava. Yeah, cultivation of self. Yeah. Um, going back to back to the back to basics theme, uh, could you speak a little bit about uh, the the idea of seeing the body as in, in as a body, the, the feelings as feelings, and also the idea of guarding the senses? Anything anything coming up? Uh, about that? Well, yeah, I, mean, I think the, the 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 whole realm of of bringing one the the fundamentals back to foundations of mindfulness are really uh, just so so helpful in terms of having a um, 
a, a foundation. That's I mean the Buddha's. Um, it, it's almost like a signature teaching in the Buddha's way of of uh, of having this as uh, a tool for for kind of unlocking the the because uh, normally what we you know we take as you know the world outside we get fascinated by it or we get uh, fascinated by our own or or perplexed by our own personality or uh, our sense of self and our emotion and whatnot and and uh, our, our reactions to things so that we get tangled up in that so that being able to uh, seeing body as body and so this is this is just a body it's not my projection on it it's not my it's not my <clears throat> wish for it it's not my aversion or fears around it uh, this is body as body and the same with 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 the uh, feelings because uh, you see especially in english when you say feelings and you're you're going into a whole realm of emotions and and uh, the whole dramas of 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 uh, responses to things but it's just, okay this is a pleasant feeling this is an unpleasant feeling this is a neutral feeling and that's 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 all it is and then we extrapolate from that so that being able to separate out the the fundamental experience from the proliferation. And that's, you know, in terms of a tool for practice and a, a, a back to basics, it's so helpful to come back to, well, what are the, the basic foundation, building blocks of experience? And, and, uh, and so then things get a lot simpler. Good. Yeah, Ajahn Jeff's translation of that. That line to me is is a good one. He says, like, the body in and of itself, the feelings in and of itself. You know, yeah. just what Paul was saying in one line. Yeah, I found also during uh, much more, like a more focused period of practice, like winter retreat, like what you said, Lumpur, the not paying, just looking at the experience, not the proliferations mm -hmm. interpretation of the experience. Yeah. And for me, that's uh, it's much more raw and vulnerable, and uh, sometimes can be even unsettling to look at experience in that way. But it, it's so much more fruitful because the proliferations—it's all about the ideals. I should be this way. I shouldn't be that way. But if you just look at what's actually happening, it's a completely different, completely different experience. Much more present too. Like if yeah. we're just up in our head all the time, and yeah. not really. Present. Well, I mean, the thing is, is uh, guarding the senses is is sort of like a tool to help one come back to, you know, again stripping away the the, the kind of reactions or the proliferations or the expectations, and, and so about guarding the senses. Okay, this is fundamental sense experience. Okay, that's good for today. <laughs>